0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland.
1: And I'm Amy Keller. August is Kids Eat Right Month. Yes. We'll post a link to some of the observances of Kids Eat Right uh, in our show notes. But we also thought you might want to hear from our kids <laughs> on what it's like to have a mom who's also a dietitian. And then you're going to hear a little bit of uh, both Laura and I's philosophy on Eating and feeding kids. So, looking forward to today's show. Hi, boys.
2: <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs>
0: Hi. I wanted to ask you guys a few questions about growing up as a child of a dietitian. So, I'm not just your mom, but I'm also a dietitian. It's Kids Eat Right month, mm-hmm. August is. So, I thought it would be fun to interview my kids. And, full disclosure here, my kids are adults. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> what was it like growing up with a dietitian mom?
2: Well, I would say it's tough for me to answer that without a, a frame of reference, but I would say in general I would I would classify the food that was around our house as healthier than the houses of my friends. There's always a treat to head over and eat some pizza or some chips <laughs> or whatever else I could find at my buddy's place.
0: <laughs> okay. That was Brian sorry i should have introduced you (laughs) so (laughs)
3: uh i guess we generally ate more wheat bread (laughs) yeah a lot of my friends ate white bread i guess okay i mean (laughs) just a little bit more conscious about the food i guess
2: i think it was the little things like that yeah whenever there was a healthier choice for something like a staple like a bread or like a rice or something like that yeah you always had the healthier version around
0: Mm i tried yeah Got you used to it, huh?
2: Yep. Skin milk, brown rice.
0: I do remember you missed it, though. Do you remember eating at Fujiyama Steakhouse and what you liked about that meal that you didn't get at home that you were so excited about?
2: No, I don't remember that at all. You don't all.
0: remember? Mm-hmm. You know, the salad there. Mm. You guys loved the salad because of the lettuce.
2: Oh, yeah. oh my gosh yeah you never let us have normal lettuce <laughs> it's always spinach yeah yeah or like kale or something
0: yeah <laughs> well it wasn't always spinach it was romaine lettuce green leaf red leaf but it was never iceberg lettuce and the salads mm-hmm. at Fujiyama are iceberg iceberg lettuce the other
3: thing uh was trans fat yeah I feel like 15 years ago people weren't as aware about it I think now probably a lot of people are more, like, better about eating trans fat, but back then, we weren't allowed to have, like... Yeah. I, I yeah, just... you made a point
2: of telling us to not eat anything with trans fat in it. Yeah. yeah. You had us looking at labels when we were, like, in middle like, school.
3: toaster strudels were out the window, so that was a shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I know, I normally, all foods can fit, and you, you know, I don't mind having iceberg lettuce every once in a while or something like that, but when it came to trans fat, we were starting to see studies, and I just... I know, I remember. I kind of made that a big point when we were going to the grocery store and kind of taught you guys how to read Mm -hmm. the label, too, so that you knew whether or not it was going to be something we could bring home or not.
2: We only only ever got trans fats when we went to the store with Dad. Right. (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay, this is our recording. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Hi, my name is Ben, and I'm 13, going into 8th grade.
1: Ben, what is it like growing up with a mom as a dietitian?
4: Uh it is pretty normal. Like sometimes I'll have I have weird food preferences than other kids such as I I have never eaten uh or even tried uh cup noodles because apparently they can- contain extreme amount of sodium. <laughs> and also I don't like chocolate, but apparently that's just me.
1: Yeah, so you think you have some weird food preferences because you don't get to eat some things that other kids get to eat. Let's talk about your chocolate and peanut butter thing. Did I tell you you could not have chocolate and peanut butter? No. Or did you decide that you I did not? I
4: it's bad. It's bad.
1: <laughs> so what's so bad about chocolate and peanut butter? It doesn't taste good. doesn't taste good? Okay. Well, that probably makes you a little strange. No,
4: I'm not. <laughs>
1: Welcome back. I have to tell you, I have had more people come up to me and say that they listened to the last podcast. So if you have not checked out our Eat Like a King podcast, I have gotten a lot of feedback on it. I was getting my hair done the other day and the girl that was doing my hair said, that podcast, I just can't wait to listen to it. So again, if you haven't checked it out, uh, again, take a look back in your downloads and check it out.
0: Yeah, we had a good time with that one. And I'm excited for this podcast today. Uh, So I thought it would be fun because it is Kids Eat Right Month. And I thought it might be interesting for us to share with you all how Mm -hmm. we did when we raised our kids. And I feel like sometimes as a dietitian and working with families, you know, I I feel like we want to do the best we can as a parent. And I think it's no different, obviously, with a dietitian. And I feel like maybe it's not as difficult. And I think we can hopefully share some tips today that might help you when you're feeding your kids.
1: I think, and you probably, I would assume agree with this, parents are under a lot of pressure. And especially right now, because, you know, not only are we going to be feeding these kids, we're also going to be educating these kids. And this is a really tough time for parents.
0: Yeah. And
1: there's so much pressure normally. I think part of it maybe is just the online culture of parents seeing idealized meals that other kids are quote-unquote eating yeah Um, not necessarily realizing maybe those are instagram influencers who are putting sort of their best foot forward for public consumption i tell you i've i've
0: had people people can be cruel sometimes and and i think yeah and and they're probably not meaning to but as a parent i've created a lot of meal plans for my clients based on things that we eat in us, it, as a family and some of the things that I eat as a family there are menus that I've created that are shortcuts in the kitchen that provide a balanced meal but maybe we did do something that was like a pre-made crab cake instead of me making them from scratch right. and so i think people might be surprised that a dietitian might do that with their kids but I find it as a parent, it was very important and it was very Mm -hmm. much my sanity that was important too, because we're busy and we have so much going on. So while I, I think as a dietitian, my advantage is I understand what a balanced, healthy meal looks like. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I'm going to get a pre-made crab cake, then I'm going to have a salad with it and some fruit or something like that. That's homemade that. You know, I mean, those are just basics. And and so you may make sure that when you're eating, you've got that balance, the fruits, the vegetables. Uh, And then there's a lot of forgiveness then, I think, in what you prepare for your kids.
1: I think sometimes, and maybe this goes along and, you know, kind of with sort of the Ellen Satter philosophy, that the the how of how we feed our kids is maybe more important than the what that we feed our kids. You know, it's it's gets really difficult and we'll get into this when we talk a little bit about feeding little tiny ones. You know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of pressure to are you making your own baby food? Yeah. Are you buying organic and, and Right. Unfortunately a lot of that stuff unfairly targets moms uh-huh. and puts pressure on them that I think is is not helpful and in a lot of ways counterproductive. Right. Um, in terms of how moms feel about how their kids eat and then you couple that with concerns about weight and you know are we worried about a child's size and should we be worried about a child's size unless yeah. the time, not it, that that's a lot of pressure as well right but let's I guess maybe just talk about if we're thinking about what our philosophy of yeah. feeding kids is can you share a little bit about because you have grown children I have a child who's 13 but your kids are out of the house right how do you feel like you know you fed them when they were little and then maybe how that's translated to today
0: uh, yeah sure so keep in mind i'm not the only parent so there's a dad involved and a mom involved so the mom is a dietitian but the dad is not and as much as i tried pretty hard to follow the ellen Sater division of responsibility and what that means is that as the parent i'm providing the what and probably the when maybe the where when they're little and they're deciding whether to eat and how much to eat Mm -hmm. and as much as i wanted to try to subscribe to that my husband didn't have the same training so that wasn't always the case at the table but Generally, we tried to not put pressure on what they were eating, but I have to say when they were little, there are times where you're like, are they getting enough? Oh my gosh. You know, Mm -hmm. and I, you, so you question that you question your ability and what, what you're doing. And I had two different, completely different eaters. You'll, you'll hear both of my boys. I have uh, Brian and Nathan, and they're both adults. Brian is, was very much a, when we'd go out to dinner, he would always get a cheeseburger. That was his Mm -hmm. go-to, that's what he would do. Where Nathan was much more of a food explorer and more willing to try different new foods and that type Mm -hmm. of thing. So I think your kids are different too. So even though you might have a philosophy of the way you want to feed them, they really are in more control than I think we think they are. And uh, Mm -hmm. so my philosophy, generally speaking, was try to do my part as a dietitian to provide the balanced, healthy meals. And Mm -hmm. from there, we tried not to make too many rules in our house. However, we did have several rules. Uh, One was, you know, no sweets before noon, uh, no sweets unless you've kind of already had a meal or a snack. And if you're going to have a, like, soda or pop, however, <laughs> I know everybody calls it different things, but if you're going to have something like that, then you can have one, but then you need to switch to water after that. If you're, Right. And if you're going to have a soda, you can have that once a day, but no more than that. It's like a, it wasn't, I know a lot of families that say they don't even keep it in the house and they don't even let their kids have it. Mm -hmm. My husband enjoys a Coke and so he always has and that's the way he is. So we always had Coke in the house. So we had to set some rules up around it.
1: Right. I think, you know, it's probably, I mean, it's tough because pop is such a triggering thing for families uh, and worrying about it and how much kids are consuming I think your philosophy is good that you have some rules about only one or drinking water and those types of things. Mm -hmm. I think it's good, though, to have them exposed to soda at home with you rather than on their own. One of the things that I think is if, you know, the kid is drinking pop at home and you can discuss it and you can talk about why maybe one is enough, Mm -hmm. from a caffeine perspective or sugar perspective you can do use it as a teaching moment rather than the first time they get pop is in a restaurant with their friends and they've never had it before and they sort of lose control with it. Right. Right. My philosophy with feeding kids is I never wanted to demonize foods. Right. And this is something that Me maybe too. <laughs> it's even related to how I grew up is that you know, by restricting foods, by demonizing foods, you make them special. And maybe this gets back to talking about pop. If you make pop too special, if you make it too, oh, that's bad for you, or that's going to make you fat, Yeah. It, it right, then kids don't normalize, oh, I can have a pop, but I can also have a water. Right. You know? And yep. one thing that I really wanted to, with Ben, who is whos 13, and we're, we're going through some struggles of, you know independence now, yeah, and wanting to make things for himself, which is great. Yeah, is keeping foods in their place. So, having candy in the house, I have no issue with because the goal is for candy to not be special, right? Because if it's special, then they're out of control about it. Yep, this is this even gets into a little bit of, and we'll probably do as we get closer to the holidays of talking about holiday eating or even Halloween treats. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that we never did with Ben, and I'm, I'm happy that we didn't do this, was take away his Halloween candy. And I know parents convince their children to trade it in or to, um, right. you know, restrict it in some way. Yeah. And what I would find with Ben is because we didn't make a big deal about it, often I would find stale Halloween candy <laughs> in his room six months later. And that's what you want as right. a parent. Yeah. You want them to look at candy as nothing special, as just another food.
0: I couldn't agree more, because now that my kids are grown and they are out of the house, uh, they just don't, they, it's take it or leave it with candy. So, I right. and I feel like, if anything, they might be like to the point where they just don't care to have candy in the house. They don't have candy, I think, in their homes. They, they don't. I I know Brian doesn't, I don't know. Um, Nathan just moved out. So, (laughs) Uh, but you know, just in general, I think that, that, yeah, you get used to not having that candy and it, like you said, you, you don't make it special and we did the same thing. And I don't know how many other dietitians would also agree with us and say that they did this with their kids, but I I too, when it came to Halloween and trick-or-treating, they'd go trick-or-treating, they'd have their candy, that was their candy, and they did what they wanted with it. And most right. of the time it would go in the trash, I can tell you that. Because it was their it was it was theirs and it was up to them.
1: Right. That's I think that's probably been my philosophy is to let Ben figure out what he likes to eat, but also not take things off the table and not say, well, you can't have candy, you can't have pop. Ben is a kid that, as I have noticed how he grows, is that he grows, and this is, we had actually just had his well child check last week, and and he's grown three inches in the last year, which wow. is good, because he's been on, kind of on the short side,
4: uh-huh.
1: but he's also gained 23 pounds, and that's what, and I, at first I thought, oh, that seems like a lot, and the, the pediatrician or the, the um, family doctor was like, no, these are kids that grow out and then mm-hmm. they grow up. Yes. And and I can see that about how Ben is growing, is that he gains a little bit of weight and then all of a sudden we're three inches taller than we were last year. Right. And that's also normal growth. And that's one of the things that, if I can't stress to parents enough, is to not interfere with normal growth.
0: Yes. I feel like that's, that's another thing. And you said you know, we would talk a little bit about when they were infants and things like that. And I I think that because we have the background we have, we understand that. And I mean, I I learned that in school. I mean, you, the kids kind of go to, when they're getting into a growth spurt, they're going to grow out and then up. And same thing as when they were infants. So uh, I just remember, and, and again, it's funny how kids are different, but Brian was a very what we would call chubby baby. And he had the chubby legs. He was, you know, we just breastfed. I introduced foods when he was ready, but we didn't push foods and you know, until he was a year old. But he was this chubby, chubby thing. And then he hit 12 months and he started walking. And then all of a sudden, you know, he lost all that baby fat. So mm-hmm. I was not once ever concerned about the way he looked. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I wish other parents could feel that way. And I wish other parents could have that security. Right.
1: It's tough because there's, there's pressure on medical professionals, physicians, to mention weight now. There's pressure um, societally from, you know, a kid that looks chubby You know, maybe we'll have somebody say something on social media to that parent. Oh, that child, you know, oh, it looks like they're thinning out. Or, again, making comments on a child's body is just never appropriate in any way, shape, or form.
0: Right.
1: I mean, I think it's very important to think about what normal growth looks like for your child. So if, and then I also think about how parents look. You know, if a parent is very tall, you know, if, you, mm-hmm. if mom is five ten and dad is six one, and the child is not close to that yet, they got some growing to do. So right. take a chill. Right, they're going to grow. They're going to get taller. Yeah. Where you can screw up a kid's relationship with food, or you know, contribute to that mess up, is by trying to interfere, mm-hmm. and trying to restrict. And you know, I always think about the the sentence in the Ellen Satter book: "The giving the look." When a child goes back for a second portion or restricting second portions to vegetables only, or, you know, again, you can end up interfering with normal growth and development and also normalizing a relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. And that's tough because if mom has been a chronic dieter or dad's been a chronic dieter, that's what kids see. It's what they've grown up with. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough.
0: It is. It's hard, and yeah, you do get that pressure too. Yep. So,
1: yeah. so let's back it up a little bit, maybe to those that infant feeding.
0: Okay. And
1: so I'll tell a story. From, yeah. You know, I breastfed Ben as well. Very lucky that he nursed well. He nursed well from the very beginning. Uh, he was always a hungry kid mm-hmm. uh, when he was a little guy. But I went back to work when he was three months old, so I started pumping. And I would make all these bottles, and unfortunately, he slept through the night very early. So I had to unfortunately. Get up and, well, no, because I had to get okay. up to pump.
0: Yeah, even okay. if
1: he was, everybody else is conked out in the house, and I'm the one getting up at 1:45 oh. in the morning to pump. Okay, so he yeah, had no bottles ideas. to take to daycare. I wish he'd just nursed.
0: Right, Because it would yeah. have
1: probably kept my supply up a little bit better. But anyway, so I'd get up and make these bottles and I'd send them off to the daycare with his bottles mm-hmm. and, of breast milk. And I remember talking to one of the older ladies who worked in the daycare. And she gave me a comment because his bottles for that were breastfeeding bottles were small. They were like four or five ounces, mm-hmm. like the Medela bottles. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, his bottles are half the size of the other kids. I'm like, yeah. Well, that doesn't seem appropriate. That doesn't seem an appropriate portion. And I said, "But it's but it's breast milk. That's different right. than formula. It's just a different composition." Uh-huh. And what I remember is I would leave four bottles every day at daycare, mm-hmm. and he would only drink three. Yeah. <laughs> and I would come. I always had an extra bottle at the end of the day, to take home. And I said, "If he's so hungry, right? <laughs> then why aren't you giving him the fourth bottle? Yeah. You know, right." if you think he's hungry, well, he's, he wasn't hungry. Right. You know, this was the right portion of breast milk, which again, you know, and and nothing against formula feeding. That's not the issue at all. Right. It's just a different composition. It's just a different size of a portion. Yeah. And that's, and, and both are perfectly fine. Right. But breastfed bottles are much smaller just because they're more nutritionally dense and that's fine. Right. And I, so I felt like I was doing a little bit of education (laughs) about breastfeeding and how Uh those, bottles yes they are going to look different yeah than the formula bottles and yeah. that's okay my kid is clearly not starving over here. right <laughs> you know yep. so
0: yeah 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 for sure so introducing salads then how did mm-hmm. that go do you recall like uh i don't know your philosophy around that or yeah. did you have anything that as a dietitian you feel like this was really important to us yeah.
1: Well, the thing—the thing that I wanted to make sure that it was not a case of I was going to force a salad into his mouth. Right. And I remember very clearly feeding him, and he would turn his head away, mm-hmm. and then the feeding is done. Right. You know, or he put his hand up, and I know mm-hmm. that's hard because there's an idea that this child needs to clean his plate. Mm-hmm. And one of right. the things that we really stressed early on was when the head was turned, and we've had enough. That there was never a force of, here's a spoon, put it in your mouth. Right. That's not, that was not my philosophy. Right. And I had to even do some educating with my, you know, parents mm-hmm. and in-laws about that's how I feed is that yeah. when he's done and he's had enough to eat, right. he will he will turn his head and he's done at that point. Right. And you can stop trying to make him eat more.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, same thing here. And then I think the other thing that I wish parents would know about is making sure not just that they're they're able to turn away and and sit up and they're doing those things but that you're not feeding them when they're on your lap that go ahead and use the high chair at that point you know you want to be able to have them in a chair and and get them used to the dining room table for meals to as early as possible i remember doing that and a feeling like that that was important to me i know a lot of friends and families that had kids at the same time and their kids are running around at meal times and mine weren't and i yeah. think a lot of that had to do with no when we're eating that's what mm-hmm. we're doing we're sitting at the table and we're eating and when we're not, then we're, we can get down and we're done, you know. And so right. I, I remember that being a, a big thing that I wish a lot of parents would know about because it's important to associate that dinner table and food and that process so that it's what you're focused on. And not be right. distracted <laughs> from the get-go. Right. We have an, I have a hard time myself. I know I tend to like to eat and watch TV and that type of thing. Those bad habits can wait a little while, I think, when they're small. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. Focusing on eating, uh, eating when you're eating and not doing other things when right. you're eating, I think exactly. is a good lifelong lesson. And I think, like you said, you could cultivate that from an early time. Yeah. Um, where they're maybe not taking their snacks in front of the television and those Mm -hmm. types of things. When you're eating, you're just eating, right? That's all you're doing or having conversation with, you know, with your family.
0: I think for me with the kids and the infants, when you're feeding them and, uh, introducing salads, the order in which introducing the salads, when I was going to school, that was important. And so I don't think it's the same right now, but for me, the the philosophy back then was you start with cereals, like an iron mm-hmm. fortified cereal, and then you move into your vegetables, especially more of your bitter vegetables, and then more of the sweet vegetables, and then the fruit, and and then just knowing that you should give it every you know three to five days when you introduce something new so that mm-hmm. you make sure that there's no food allergy occurring because of it. Right so I think i I don't know. I'm hearing a lot of studies that are saying that the, that isn't necessarily as important doing fruits versus vegetables mm-hmm. first. I don't know how you feel about that i
1: I will say we introduced we attempted to introduce vegetables first, and they just didn't take uh-huh and I remember one I think it was somebody I was talking to she was like, "Have you tried the?" The, the baby food, green beans. I'm like, well, no. And she's like, they're terrible. <laughs> you know, they need a little butter. They need a little salt, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, as my, I didn't want it to become a battle yeah of, you know, you if, well, you, if you don't eat these green beans, you can't have applesauce, which was always a favorite of his. Right. And it, it didn't want it to turn into a battle where he would eat green beans just to satisfy me, you uh-huh. know, so he could get to what he actually wanted. Right. So I think that's, I think it's less important now. I know, of course, that allergen guidelines have changed. Yes, they have. (laughs) There, you know, we're now talking about introducing peanuts early. Right. Even in children who are are at risk for allergy, you know, which is extremely exciting. Yes. Honestly, if we can cut down on the number of food allergies by introducing foods in a different order, that would just be huge right? because, you know, unfortunately, peanut allergies are not something that they outgrow typically. So it's, right. it would be very exciting if we could cut down yes. by doing some of that exposure. Now, PSA here, don't, if you, <laughs> you don't start introducing peanuts to your little one uh, without talking to your doctor on, especially right. if they're at high risk for food allergies, you right. know, if they have a genetic history of food allergies in the family um, on how to properly do that with your child.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, in terms of toddlerhood, I know that, and, and maybe this is just, again, a phase of life that he's going through. Ben was a more adventurous little guy eater than he is now. He was very, like, he was the child who we'd eat shrimp. He was the child who we'd eat broccoli, mm-hmm. eat all the vegetables on his plate. And now I, I see more stubbornness. And I'm starting to think that's mm-hmm. more of a, just asserting a independence and less on, mm-hmm. there's more, you know, like you mentioned with your son of, ordering the cheeseburger when he goes out yeah as opposed to trying the shrimp that he might have eaten earlier on in life
4: Mm
1: -hmm. but I think it's important to let your child try different things don't assume that all they want is chicken nuggets and mac and cheese however don't freak out if If that's that's what what they they... want (laughs) right (laughs) right right because it's back to that sadder thing of putting in unfamiliar foods with familiar foods
0: right right so, when, yeah, when they were toddlers eating out, definitely Nathan was my more adventurous son. And uh, he tried things. And I think he, my sisters took him out for lobster. And he fell in love with lobster when we were on vacation. And then you come back to red lobster here in Columbus. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, this is not good.
1: <laughs> so, Well, there goes our sponsorship from Red Lobster. Thanks (laughs) Oops. Sorry. Oops. Yep. (laughs) But
0: it was like, I think Red Lobster can agree that, you know, fresh right at the seafood is, might be a little different. But anyway, it's, I was like, oh, well, let's go to Red Lobster. They have, you know, and it didn't go over as well for him he has discerning tastes so and he always has and and then the other one does too and now he is much more adventurous but you know and they they just have different kids are all different so
1: right uh and you know getting back to that not freaking out if your kid goes on what they, I think the term we used to call is a food jag, I mean, uh-huh. that's what they still yep. call it, where <laughs> your child is eating the same thing over and over and over again. Your child will not eat macaroni and cheese for the rest of their lives. Right. You know, it's not, that's, even if right now that is what your child is super interested in mm-hmm. and is requesting, you know, it's okay to offer it. It's it's also okay if that's the only thing they eat off the plate. Right. You know, if you prepare macaroni and cheese twice a week, kind of as a you know that's what your child enjoys eating Mm -hmm. and that's all they eat on their plate great you know
0: you did your job you provided the balance right yep
1: and then I think it's important you know if you're getting into introducing new foods to pair those with unfamiliar foods I always think about I think it's in one of Ellen Satter's books where she talks about if you went to a foreign country and they gave you an entire tables full of unfamiliar food, yet there was a bread basket on the table, mm-hmm. what are you gonna eat first? Well, of course, you're gonna eat the bread basket because mm. that's what you recognize. Yeah. Same thing with kids. You can't put an entire you right. know, table's worth of unfamiliar foods on the table and expect them to be good eaters. Right. That's just not the way it works. Right, right. So
0: there's there's that part of eating There's also another interesting part of eating that I think a lot of parents struggle with is with trusting that their child knows when to stop. You mentioned when you were feeding as an infant how important it was that as soon as the head was turned, you know, those were cues. You knew what the cues were for Ben that he was done eating. And I think that that's really important to trust the child. When they got into being toddlers and when they got to that age where they were a little more getting more of their nutrition from solid foods and less from the breast milk and the formula as they get into one and two, two two-year-olds, you start to see that, I don't know about you, but I felt like both of my kids, it was like, I think they'd have two good meals a day, but then that third meal would generally be like, eh, I'm not really... Into it, you know what I mean? And, and not a lot would right. get would get eaten. And so I think trusting your child, like I said, about how much that's up to them. And in, in whether right. and how much, because, and then there's also times where I remember uh, nine months and 12 months and 15 months, we hit food. We hit the those growth spurts um, that yes. first year when they'd hit a growth spurt, you couldn't feed them enough and then yep. maybe the next week though they wouldn't be interested in food at all and right. and as a parent a lot of parents are like whoa what's wrong they're not eating something's wrong and right. it's not always that something's wrong it might be just that they're listening to their hunger and fullness cues
1: i think some you know one of the things that i want to encourage with my child and with all children is to respect that fullness Mm -hmm. and not again you know one of the things that we struggle with and we still struggle with with this with badness you know he comes to the table sometimes not as hungry as he could be if he's been snacking in the afternoon so one thing that we were getting ready for dinner the other night and he opened up the refrigerator and pulled out this huge bunch of grapes and i was like wait a second. Hold on. I'm literally cooking dinner right now.
4: Right. You know,
1: let's just wait. Mm-hmm. I know you want grapes. I know those sound really good. But <laughs> let's go ahead and have dinner first. And then if you still want grapes, yep. you know, I think it's okay to if it's a half an hour before the meal time to deny a snack. Yeah, I think that's okay. Yep, Um, I agree. But it's okay to also say if it's mid afternoon and they want something to eat, and that's you know you're thinking, well, dinner's in two or three hours. Well, maybe you as an adult can wait two or three hours, right? But they as a child cannot, right? You know, right? So respecting that hunger, respecting that fullness, you know, double checking, you know, if they're just, you know, are is it just that I'm hungry right now and I could wait a half an hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah, then let's do that. You know, come to the table hungry. But then again, also respecting those fullness cues, it's and maybe this is a, a generational thing. I mm-hmm. tend to think we tend to, and maybe again, I'm hoping this is not just dietitians. Maybe the clean plate club is no longer a thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I hope it's not. I hope it's not. Um, I grew up that way, and I still struggle <laughs> cleaning my plate. Right. I yeah. Right. Yep.
1: It's okay to to say you know I get halfway through my sandwich and it just I'm done yeah it's okay yeah to not have to eat the whole thing yeah and I, that's one thing I want Ben to understand is if he gets you know if he takes a you know he's to the point now where we're like in two sandwiches time you know he gets two sandwiches uh-huh. at dinner I'll say you know if he gets halfway through the second one and he's done great no right. problem right right you know, yeah. last night we had, we had takeout and he had chicken strips and he got through about two of them because mm-hmm. they were pretty large. Yeah. And he was like, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, fine. Right. You know, right. Moving on.
0: Yeah. Right. They can use the same strategies that we talk about with our adult patients or my, my adult clients that I work with is, you know, it's okay to save it for another meal. And right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: It yep. feels wasteful, and sometimes you feel like, "Oh, you're throwing something away." Yeah. And if you can use the item, do it. If you can't, don't get right. hung up on it. Exactly. Don't get hung up on it. Yep. And I think if we can keep kids from being part of that that clean plate club, <laughs> and respecting that fullness, mm-hmm. and I exactly, you're exactly right. You know where where. Ben would go through times where he would just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And I, kept, I was like a bottomless pit. Yeah. And then we would go through a week or two where he'd eat very little. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you as a parent can kind of accept that that's normal. Yeah. And that's normal growth. Yeah. Right. But it makes your life easier. Now, yeah. What do you say to parents who, for example, like you said, trusting your child's getting enough. I didn't have this issue, and I don't know if you did either. Maybe a child who is very thin Mm -hmm. or there's concern about growth. How do you help parents talk about that? You know, if they're a child or if they're hearing from their pediatrician, this child needs to gain X amount of pounds by this time. Right. Um,
0: Yeah, see, now, I mean, I was never in that position as a parent, luckily, so I don't think either of my kids, now, like I said, Brian was a chunky baby, Nathan, not so much a chunky baby, but I don't know, I mean, in terms of how, you know, just helping a parent with that, that's a a fellow, like a client, (sighs) it's easy for me to say trust your child but at the same time and then maybe we i guess what i work on mostly is helping the parent to understand that because you're providing the what then you could provide the what and we could talk about what you can provide to help with making sure the child is getting enough calories right okay in your instance we're trying to actually increase the calories here so not only giving the child broccoli but putting or like your green beans you were talking about put lots of butter in the green beans and put those types of things that were going to help get you a little more bang for your buck when they're eating a green bean they're getting a little more calories to them and so we kind of talk about those types of things in terms of providing that balanced diet but making sure that it's as nutrient dense as you can possibly make it for the child can maybe help a little bit with, that's great yeah
1: But that structure still applies. Structure still applies. You know, where where you're not forcing a child to eat. You're not counting the bites or saying they can't leave the table until. I think that's all very positive.
0: Because when you get to that point, and and so then it becomes, is the child not gaining weight because they're trying to exert some sort of control over the meal? So then you also have to look at what's the parent doing there you know is the parent abiding to those responsibilities at the meal and are the is the parent actually able to tell let the child decide that how much and 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 everything so yeah yeah
1: As we get into school-agers, social influences, life gets a little more difficult for mom and dad. Yeah. I know it it did for us. Uh Uh-huh. Like I said, I think Ben was a more adventurous eater than he is now Mm when he was a little guy. But also social influences of not always eating every meal with mom and dad, eating with friends or overnights. And what were some of your experiences with that kind of stuff?
0: So it was interesting. Both of my kids brought up the fact that when they ate at other friends' house, how it was different. Okay. And so, but yeah, I think that when. When you start having those other influences, then for my kids, it was like, whoa, you eat this, you know, and kind of looking forward to going over and spending time at somebody else's house because maybe they got to do stuff that they don't get to do at my house or, you know, hey, that tasted good. I kind of like that. You definitely start seeing that influence. However, I do, I want to tell parents that if you've done your job you know, up until then, and you know, and you even when they're little, you hopefully are around other people and they're able to see other people eating. They really are paying attention. And I think, that, mm-hmm. I think that as a parent, if you've done your job, when they get to school age, you've got to trust that the same thing applies that when you're in your home, that, you know, okay, I'm not providing the what, so they get to get, get by on that, but it's not gonna be every meal, right? And so it's not that big of a deal. So I don't care if you're going to go to a friend's house and have pizza. And I I don't know why my kids thought pizza, because I swear we had pizza once a week in my, in our house, but, (laughs) but I guess parent, I guess other friends must've had pizza more often. So.
1: (laughs) Well, I think there's a social aspect of being parent pizza with your parents versus being pizza with your friends. I don't know. We're just not cool enough, I guess.
0: I guess. guess. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: and then finally, teenagers exploring them and you know, letting them explore that—that that, the providing the what. So yes. this is where we are. So we've been as thirteen now, mm-hmm. and he has recently, during quarantine, one of the things that he has learned to do is prepare some basic meals for himself. Now Wonderful. he's not again because he's not a super adventurous eater anymore. He tends to rely, he's found a couple of microwave dinners from Trader Joe's that he uh-huh. likes a lot. He has also learned to, one. this is one of the benefits of being in scouting. He's done some basic cooking in his Boy Scouts.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so he can make eggs on the stove and some uh-huh. things like that. He's getting to the point where he's no longer scared to use the stove uh-huh. like he used to be. But he is, we're slow going still uh-huh. on Maybe branching out a little bit more with food. But I am, for example, because he's going to be home these next few months, mm-hmm. you know, at least through three days a week, you know, assuming we can keep him in school a couple days a week. Yep. He's going to be responsible for making his own lunch uh-huh.
0: every
4: day. Yeah.
1: And I'm trying to, we were talking today about maybe, okay, we'll go to Trader Joe's and I'll get some microwave rice, mm-hmm. get the microwave rice, and you put some grilled chicken strips with it from, again, we're just heat meat. Type yeah. of thing, grilled chicken strips from Trader Joe's, and make that a lunch because he likes he likes things plain. He's not a big mm-hmm. kid with sauces. Mm-hmm. So I said you could do chicken and rice yeah. for lunch, and yeah. that would be totally fine and totally balanced. Yeah, because I said you're going to have a limited lunch time. You don't have an hour to cook lunch. You're going to have thirty minutes on your schedule before you have to get into your next Zoom class. <laughs> you know to be able to eat. Yeah. So he's getting he's getting more adventurous, maybe with hopefully getting more adventurous with you know, thinking outside the microwave dinner box. But I felt oh. like that was a good place to start. Yeah. Something I, where he could prepare his own meal.
0: That's great. I mean, hey, I'll take it a silver lining from all this COVID stuff is maybe it is a good opportunity to, for parents that still have the kids in the house to start letting them have more responsibility over the food. Um, right. So that is one thing that I actually did a lot of, even when my kids were toddlers, when they were first able to stand, having them stand beside me while I'm cooking dinner, while I'm making food, and as they got older, involving them in the meal as much as possible. Even if it's just, okay, I'm sitting down and I'm planning my meals for this week. What do you guys want? And then they could tell me a meal that they wanted to have that week. And now when they get to be about 13, that's the time where you can start. What I did was I started letting them plan one of those meals and tell, okay, what do you want to make? And and have them actually take ownership of a meal, right? For us, we didn't have COVID. So, you know, in the summer was when they maybe had more time. They could actually not just plan the meal and tell me what they wanted that week, but they would actually be responsible for making a meal on the during the week when they were out of school and we were working full time as parents you Great. know so it it pays off the more you get them kind of involved and and being Great. familiar with being in the kitchen and knowing it's not just one person in the family's job to do the meals that everybody has can take a turn to do it i think that's important and then Getting them to, uh, you know, take that time and and then actually start making a meal for the family is Mm -hmm. great because they're going to need that practice. And then that skills and that comfort level for knowing once they're not in the house anymore to be able to do that
1: on a regular basis. So it took a long time for Ben (laughs) to be comfortable with heating things by himself um, I'm still not super crazy about him using the stove if I'm not here <laughs> Yeah, you know um, that's something we talked about for school I said I'd still feel a little bit more comfortable with the microwave if mm-hmm. I'm not here yeah. than you using the stove just I you know I it's not a gas stove but still I just feel like I don't necessarily not in love with that idea yet yeah um, maybe it maybe another year I'll feel a little bit more comfortable with that. So I said, Mm you know, you can make eggs, but let's maybe we'll just do eggs when I'm home, Uh you know, on the stove or you can make them in the microwave. There's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. You don't have to just make them on the stove.
0: There's a lot of things Um, you can make in the microwave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my goal again for him is to by the time he's ready to graduate from high school that he has some basic cooking skills for each meal. Yeah. So whether that's making a breakfast sandwich or making a lunch and even if it's all, you know, microwave vegetables and throwing chicken strips in the oven, mm-hmm. that's fine. Right. I don't need him to be a gourmet cook. That's right. I can already tell you that's probably not his what he's gonna be doing. Right. Yeah. But if he can put together a balanced meal Mm-hmm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then I think I've done my job. Right. And I can send him out, you know, where he's not dependent on fast food. He's not dependent on restaurant meals. Right. He can make balanced meals on his own. Yep. If I've done that, again, yeah, it'd be great if you love to cook and chop things. And mm-hmm. eh, it, I I don't love to do that. And that's okay, you <laughs> right. know?
0: right. I think it's, yeah, everybody's different in what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And I have to say, I mean... I don't know now that they're on their own. And Nathan, like I said, he just moved out a couple weeks ago, and I don't know how much he's cooking on his own. He's trying to figure it out. You know, just getting a lot of, does he have the basic necessities that he needs to make what he wants to make? And, but when he, he was living here between graduating college and getting this job and moving out now, it was nice because he would make a meal for us once a week. So, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I highly recommend investing in that time even though as a parent sometimes it's harder and it takes a while longer to get the kids involved and have them help prepare stuff. But it does pay off. So I I guess that's the one thing as a – dietitian parent or just as a parent even just now that they're older it's I, I really recommend making sure that you're involving them in the kitchen and to your point it doesn't have to be gourmet kitchen skills at all like, right and I'm never I mean like I said you know we'll buy crab cakes already made I'm not going to make fresh ca- crab cakes <laughs> I don't think I ever have yeah. I probably should right but, but you know I just generally Speaking, you don't have to make foods from scratch to get right. the benefits from them.
1: Right. I mean, you know, there's value in a rotisserie chicken with a side of vegetables and, you know, heat and eat mashed potatoes. Again, right. All it's much more important how you feed your child than necessarily mm-hmm. everything being organic from scratch. Right. Utilize those convenience things when you need them. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. Right. I think there's such pressure again to produce these amazing meals when you can utilize some things and and be very balanced. Right. Absolutely. Yep.
0: yep.
1: You know, it's much more important that the structure, the family time that is there, than necessarily picking out you know organic broccoli to prepare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's right. the way I feel about it. Anyway. So. Yep. yep. Because your mom is a dietitian, do you consider yourself an amazing eater? Do you like to try different things?
4: Yeah. I mean, I eat I, I enjoy grapes like no other. <laughs> There's a grape bowl on my desk over there. Okay. I also really like yogurt. That's half the things I eat. Yeah. On a daily basis.
1: Are you willing to try do you like to try more new things than other friends or No. Okay.
4: I usually just stick to my bases. Yeah. When it comes to food eating.
1: So you have things that you really like.
4: I've never had not the same order at a Chinese food place. (laughs) And it took me four years to get a different order at Mexicans. Yeah. At Mexican.
1: So you find what you like and you stick with it.
0: So with a mom as a dietitian, a lot of people might think you're an amazing eater. What would you say to that? You want to go first?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of my friends expected me to eat only fruits and vegetables, <laughs> uh, but that's not really the case. Like we had a lot of chocolate lying around mm-hmm. the house.
2: Yeah,
0: we did.
3: Thanks to my mom's crippling chocolate addiction. <laughs> um, so it's not like, yeah, it's not like we only ate healthy all the time. It's just we're, she's probably a little better about cooking dinners for us mainly, mainly. Um, more so than just like a strict diet all the time. Right Mm
0: mm-hmm okay
2: yeah I I would say yeah the same thing like certainly I've gone through periods of my life where I would eat more healthy or or less healthy and I think the the biggest difference would just be that I'm you know at least somewhat aware of the impact that my decisions make in the kitchen so you know if I go on a fast food bender I'll at least know why that makes me feel awful (laughs) but I'll still do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean yeah we didn't have I truly believe that you can eat healthy 80% of the time and 20% of the time allow yourself to have, you know, mm-hmm. something
3: yeah, what, it's every it's
0: people would consider not healthy.
3: Yeah. I remember the everything in moderation phrase sticking with me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I said that a lot yeah. when I was a young dietitian. Yeah. Still do. Mm-hmm. I still find myself saying that a lot.
3: I think it's pretty good words to live by.
0: Yep. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. Mm-hmm. I appreciate mm-hmm. taking a few minutes to talk to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our little chat today. I've enjoyed li- talking to you, and I'm, I'm—I don't know, just I—I I am very proud of my boys because they're both at this point out of the house. And if you're a parent and your kids are younger, just someday it'll happen faster than you think <laughs> they'll be gone. Right. But right. I think that, uh, just relax and enjoy. And as a parent, don't put so much pressure on yourself and right. And, uh, trust your kids and trust your kids to have a good relationship with food.
1: Right. So. I think you want your child to look back and not think about mealtime as battle time.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: and that's so tough. It's really tough. Yeah. You want them to have good memories of meals. Right. And good memories of spending time in the kitchen with mom and dad or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, and again, if dad enjoys cooking, this is something, this is not just moms doing the work too. Exactly. I will say my, my husband, Ben's stepdad, loves to cook and uh-huh. he's a better cook than I am. And he's taught his son how to make some things mm-hmm. and you know, he's, he's about to graduate high school, but also working on, you know, teaching Ben some basic kitchen skills. And sometimes mm-hmm. even just that dad-son relationship is different. Yeah. So if you find that your child relates better to a different, you know, the other parent right. in the kitchen, then yeah. let that happen. Let right. That happen.
0: Don't let it just it's, be one of you showing them right. the skills that you have in the kitchen because they are a different set of skills.
1: Right. And, and and sometimes they just relate better to a, you know again, you know, a child might relate better to a dad or versus a mom and and let them do the teaching if that works better. Right. So, yep, right. absolutely. So, well, thanks for your perspective. Thanks to our kids yep, thank, for their perspectives thank today for, throughout the show.
0: Yeah. Thank um, you Ben, Brian, and Nathan so much yes. for your time to answer our silly questions and yes. give us your perspective and I think what's What struck me the most, I think, is just the fact that I think they also don't know any better. (laughs) Right. So it's kind of like my husband, too. You know, it just doesn't know any better. You know, this is just the way it is with a dietitian. So,
1: yeah,
0: I know there are times that we drive them crazy, but I think
1: that's our job, too that's right yeah. so we look forward to your show ideas if you have anything you'd like to hear about you can visit our website www.secretliferd.com you can email us there or at dish at secretliferd.com you can visit us on twitter at @t_dietitians, t or you can follow us on instagram at the secret life dietitians and we look forward to seeing you next time wherever you get your podcasts any special memories around food?
4: Yeah, you came to my school several hundred times. I did not
1: come several hundred yes. times to your you school. You also came
4: to my scale group, my preschool, my, my friend's school.
1: <laughs> it's because I'm a dietitian that goes and does a lot of programs. Do you remember any programs that I did?
4: I know we got a chef hat.
1: Okay, at one of the programs. Yeah, no my, chef hats.
4: at my daycare.
1: At your daycare, yeah. Do you remember making the, um, the 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 fruit kebabs? Did you ever make fruit think, kebabs think, with I think, me?
4: I think it was during the chef hat incident. Oh,
1: that's what in the chef hat incident. <laughs> you made fruit kebabs with me. Yep, yep. Do you have any frustrations about having a dietitian for a mom?
4: I can't have noodle-roni every day. Okay. Why can't you have noodle-roni every day? Because apparently it can- contains enough sodium for two
1: days straight. That is true. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so you want to have noodle-roni every day? Yes. Okay. If you did not have a dietitian mom, you would have noodle-roni every day? I
4: mean, probably.
1: Probably. Yeah. I mean,
4: I also don't drink those, like, like, vegetable drinks. Like a lot of my friends do, they say is they're like good for you,
1: like smoothies.
4: Yeah, like the naked drinks. Are we allowed to? Yes. Drop okay. Naked could, drinks.
1: Yeah. Why? Why don't you want to drink this? Because apparently, didn't you say they're not that good for you? Well, they have a lot of sugar in them.
4: Yeah, that's why.
1: Yeah, um, any benefits to having a mom as a dietitian?
4: Yeah, I'm not eating neuteroni every every day, <laughs> and not getting. Like, I have, like, I, if I had it for seven days, I would have 14 days worth of sodium.
1: Yes, that's true. You can do math. <laughs> that's
4: good. I'm a big brain. That's
1: right. <laughs> what are one or two things that you learned from your mom that are not about noodle roni?
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that naked drinks aren't that good, okay. are not good for you.
1: Okay. What else are the other things that you learned from me about nutrition?
4: Um... The food pyramid and, like, the My Plate thing.
1: Yeah, I did teach a Plate, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. And
4: now they're at every school I go to.
1: Yep. Yep. Anything else you'd like to say about having a mother for a dietitian? Um. Would you recommend it to other kids to have a mother who's a dietitian? Yeah. Why?
4: Because you won't eat chocolate, the worst thing ever created. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chocolate's the worst thing ever created? Okay. <laughs> I don't agree with that.
4: I'm just pushing my agenda here.
1: <laughs> about the anti-chocolate agenda? Yeah. Oh, do you ever have a, a, a story that you told about me once to everybody? Oh, yeah! So tell the story about the so, time that you so, ratted me out to everybody. So,
4: <laughs> mother was on a radio show, and uh, I, I, they let me go on the air for like five minutes. and Which they, was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the fun thing was the day before mom had got me uh donuts mm-hmm. and I told everyone, like, oh, does uh, the radio show's like, Oh, you 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 does your mom make you eat healthy? And I was like, No, not really. I had donuts yesterday.
1: <laughs> he told everybody that I'd given you donuts.
4: I was like five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you were quite five, but like seven? Probably seven.
4: <laughs> I know it was at my first daycare.
1: Yeah. And where then the, you came over where you the were... chef
4: hat incident happened. Yeah, the chef hat incident.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to say on the podcast about your mother?
4: Very epic.
1: I'm very epic.
4: <laughs> also, she. <laughs> my friends think she... you're epic too.
1: Okay. That's not because I'm a dietician, though. No.
4: I don't think they know.
1: Okay, that's not
4: true. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not my other friends from other schools who've had you come to come to places.
1: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. What are your favorite foods? grapes. Grapes. Green grapes to be specific. Yeah. Can't have purple
4: right? grapes get out of there.
1: Yeah. What about what's the other favorite foods?
4: Uh Trader Joe's yogurt specifically.
1: Yeah. Um, and you're kind of learning to cook now.
4: I've... Yeah, I can make
1: myself neutroni Of course. What else can you make for yourself? Uh, eggs. Yep, and... You can microwave things now. I can microwave things. Yep. It's good. If you need something microwave, I got you.
0: <laughs> Any frustrations other than the trans fats <laughs> that you were mentioning?
2: Yeah, we never had the good snacks around. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Like, Gushers or whatever else. Like, we never hmm. really
3: had Ooh, Or, like, Cosmic Brownies and...
2: Oh, yeah, the Trans Fats. Cosmic little Debbie brownies. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I remember
3: no being very jealous at lunch.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You guys do know that now Little Debbie does not have Trans Fats in it. Yeah, that's take good all-out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's good. why I've
3: been getting it at the store. <laughs> yeah.
0: <okay. laughs> uh, any benefits to having a dietitian mom?
2: So I think, I think the coolest part of like having a dietitian mom has been like once we got older and and started to explore, you know, diets for whether it was a, a workout regimen that we were doing or, or something like that, it was really interesting to talk to you about, uh, whatever the, the newest fad diet that we found or like how much protein the latest workout website that we found had had suggested to us and just having those conversations was I think really cool something that we wouldn't have had with you know a mother that wasn't a dietitian I think those conversations were very helpful and definitely kind of steered at least my current diet towards where it is now so I try to you know stay informed about all that and I don't know how informed I would be otherwise Mm -hmm. or how much I would even care yeah Um, I guess
3: having hmm. a dietitian as a mom made me more interested in um, nutrition in general mm-hmm. so I did a lot of research on think, on my own when it came yeah. to like eating mostly like when I was just getting into like working out and like athletics
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: you got into that a lot mm-hmm. did a lot of research on your own Yeah, I did
3: yeah. And I think it in a way it's probably is what got me into like fitness mm-hmm. like working out it's probably stemmed from like understanding how to eat well and that kind of thing maybe, mm-hmm. in a way
0: cool any anything else any like one or two things that you've learned or anything else you want to share I feel like we've covered a lot of things that you've learned but I
2: uh, I would just say I mean again like the biggest benefit has just been you know like the conversations that, that we've been able to have about food and then like the healthy diets that you kind of ingrained in us from a very young age and you don't need to have a dietician as a mother to have that. Right. That's something that basically anyone can impart onto their children through, yep. you know, like healthy choices and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think that speaks volumes to how, I guess, important it is to set your children up for that sort of thing. Certainly mm-hmm. grateful for, for that.
0: Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
2: All right. Well, Ben, would you like to say anything
1: else on this podcast? Um. Like, comment, and subscribe. No, that's okay. not,
4: this is not YouTube. Oh, okay. Like, how, how, what's the system like do you have to subscribe to the podcast yes mm-hmm. okay subscribe to the podcast guys yeah it's the best it's it's the best podcast like it's the it's the best podcast um don't look that up <laughs> it's the number one podcast so don't look that up
1: though okay <laughs> all right well that's it